Hello and welcome to the Sport at Bow Desert podcast with me, Mr. Griffiths. And me, Mr. Dill. Now, last week we combined with the weekly wellbeing talk and did a live podcast with professional rugby player and old bow desertion, Nick Abendanen. It was great speaking to Nick. And if you haven't heard that podcast yet, I really recommend that you, you have a listen. All of our previous episodes can be found on Firefly on our Sport at Bow Desert podcast section. Uh, and alternatively, you can access the podcast via the weekly buzz or you can go straight onto Spotify. Simply type in Bow Desert Park School. Now, Mr. Dill, we've made it to the last week of half term, certainly the strangest half term that pupils, staff and parents have had at Bow Desert. Could you perhaps offer a little bit of a reflection on how the half term has gone? Yes, certainly. I mean, it's, it's been fantastic to see all the children interact with the, the resources and the content that we've put out there, be it the BPS Europe Challenge or the fitness and skills activities or the, the lesson videos that we've put on. And, and to see children take part and get those videos back has been great. It's obviously been a very strange term, as you said. I mean, as a, as a, especially as a, as a PE teacher, it's probably the longest time I haven't coached sport to groups of children for in, in, in sort of over 10 years. I'm certainly missing the social side of coaching and sort of the buzz you get in a lesson where you can see children enjoying the activities and, and making progress. But we've enjoyed producing the resources. Hopefully the children will continue to enjoy it at home. Next half term, we've got some tennis as more some athletic skills, challenges and fitness activities for children to have a go at. There's plenty for our children to still look forward to. Us as teachers, we're looking for new ways to keep them motivated. And I know that we have the games and P department been trying to create some more challenges uh, for children to try at home. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And there's also the potential of a virtual fixture that might be being lined up. So more of that to, to come out after half term. In this week's podcast, I'm really pleased to say that we are joined by Dan Robinson. Now, Mr. Robinson, or Mr. Rob, as he's more affectionately known as, is an old bow desertion, a current parent at the school, and has been involved in the school's sport for the best part of 20 years. He's more widely known as a very successful marathon runner, having represented Great Britain and England, uh, which we'll be definitely discussing more about later. Good evening, Mr. Rob. Good evening. And how are you doing? Yeah, very good. We're all enjoying this uh, lovely sunny weather. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, uh, yeah, it's um, making the most of all this sunshine. Uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I suppose what I want to really start with is go straight into your Bow Desert memories. Your time here as a, a pupil, many pupils here might not realise you were an old Bow Desertion. So, could you reflect on your early memories here, both on a sports and non-sports perspective? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I've got um, very happy memories of of Bow Desert. Probably primarily on the sporting side. I'm not sure academically. I troubled the. Uh, <laughs> I excel that that well, but no, it, I'm very happy. Obviously, the school was was quite a lot smaller then, but I, I really think that the same sort of feel of the place is still there. Happy memories walking across the common, especially on a day like today. You know, you can just imagine playing playing all that cricket and just being being with your mates and, and enjoying yourself. Really, I I, I love my time there, and it really um, yeah, it was a very happy time. Well, are there any any particular memories, whether it's anyone inspired you to get into sport how, how was it done back then mr rob pretty similar i mean I, I was i was pretty i was fairly useful at sport i mean athletics and cross country being quite small it was it, i did struggle a little bit but i i was always there or thereabouts i didn't i wouldn't say i was outstanding i was probably probably slightly better at football and then cricket uh, we played a little bit of hockey uh rugby possibly on the small side again but not a bad little scrum half. 
Um, but I, yeah, again, it's it's getting on that. It was getting onto the common. We used to kick a ball about. It was it, it definitely gave me a good, a really good introduction to sport. And and it's you know it's where my love of sport came from. I'm absolutely sure of that. Okay, so Dan, after Bow Desert, then you moved on to Bradfield. Can you tell us what the appeal was there in terms of sport and what it could offer you? I think my I think my parents primarily liked the feel of the place when they had a look round, but but I think one of the main reasons was it was a football school which, which suited me. Again, very much like Bow Desert, I had a great time there. Really enjoyed the sport. I mean, it's a beautiful beautiful part part of the world. And again, yeah, it's where my sort of love of sport and um, and being outside blossomed as well. And I, um, yeah, I had five, five happy years there. And I, I know you've talked to me previously about um, then after leaving school and the opportunity, I think, in London where a lot of the sport you played was to do with the old boys uh, schools. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Absolutely, yeah. I played, I played for quite a few years of for the old boys, the Bradford old boys football, and that, and, that, and it, you know, I think that was a great, that was actually great fun socially as well. It was, um, I, I, I quickly realised though that um, unless you know, being <laughs> not the tallest, I think I felt if I'm, if I'm going to do anything here, I'm going to try and be the fittest person on the pitch, which probably led me to join the gym and, and uh, find the treadmill, and which was pretty much my route into running. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember I you telling me about this. It's um... The, the treadmill story, I think, is quite fascinating. And it, and it, and it goes back to, we were talking about the, the Australian cricketers and their adapting to their environments and being able to develop their, their batting skills according to the, the layout of their gardens. And, you know, you hear about footballers like Messi and Neymar playing you know, futsal when they were growing up. And I, I link your story, Mr. Robinson, of, uh, of you developing your running ability on a treadmill. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think probably for the first sort of two years where I was sort of training properly, I, my training ri- was literally runners running probably 10k five or six times a week on a treadmill, basically as fast as I could. So I'd run for between 40 and 45 minutes, probably sometimes a bit quicker, a bit slower, and, and, and that was it. And you can get very, very fit, fit doing that, especially for football. And I, then I realised probably football wasn't going to be uh, that was probably old boys football was about as far as I could go with it. But I managed to, I thought with, with the running, it was, uh, there was possibly something there. So you're working at the gym and then obviously you finish your shift and you jump onto the treadmill. And obviously you've got that there for you when you're working. Um, when was it? What was the, the kind of moment where someone said to you, well, you thought, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go and I'm going to try a race. I'm going to actually get out there and um, compete. I think it was, it was, it's like anything, especially with distance running, it's, it, it happens gradually, doesn't it? It was, um, I got, you get to sort of good club level, then I represent, got run, uh, selected run for Gloucestershire, and then sort of on the verge of kind of national, county national, that sort of standard, it became apparent that maybe if I gave, gave the running, I, well, initially it was, let's give the running two years and, sit and see, see where I can go with it. So, I, you know, I, I met Jess, my, my wife then, and we, we thought let's move back to the Stroud area, give the running a couple of years, and um, and, and and see where it would take me. And that was yes, yeah, so at the end of sort of two thousand, I think we I made that decision. I remember um, 
obviously a few years ago before I was working at the school, seeing and, and living locally and, and being aware of, of, of Dan Robinson, the Olympic runner, and seeing you run through Nailsworth and over the common and, and just spotting you just all the time out running and training. And it's interesting how the Stroud Valleys has produced some good runners over the years. Is, do you think there's something in that in terms of the, the lay of the land and the hills? Can you tell us a bit more about your training and, and whether you think that offered you uh, a bit more going forward? Yeah, I think it probably did. I mean, it's great training around here. You've got the common, you've got you know the hills when you need them, you've got the, the, the bicycle track between Nailsworth and Stroud. I don't know. I mean, I, other of my contemporaries didn't do it that way. They went away altitude training to... Colorado and Africa and that sort of thing and, and it, I, I, that never really appealed to me I, I, um, I like that sort of home comforts um, I think yeah well, as you say running through now there, there are people that come up to me even now go yeah I could use to, be able to set my walks by you the sort of 725 I'd come running past Morrison's <laughs> and then half an hour later come back it was um, it suited me I and I felt I felt as I was improving why why change it you know looking back now you think yeah perhaps i could have done more altitude training or trained more in a group or or that sort of thing and maybe that would have made a difference but at the time you just do i just did what i um i, I felt was best and, and, and it seemed to be working because the improvement was um was happening especially in those times but now mr robinson as with all my favorite sports stars i i like to explore the world of wikipedia and i've been running through your sort of achievements online could you perhaps go through some of your achievements for those who don't know or haven't followed your running career your your highlights and maybe explain some reasons as to why you were successful what made you successful in this particular field i think i think the, the highlights i think uh, qualifying for the olympics for the first time was pretty hard to beat that was in the qualifying race was the london marathon uh, in two, April 2004, and there were probably 10 or 12 of us who thought we had a bit of a chance of doing it. To qualify then, the qualifying criteria was you had to be in the first two British athletes across the line in under 2.14. Bearing in mind, my, my personal best time at that time was only 2.17, so I was, I was way off, but I thought if I had the perfect race, I could do it. And it, and it just panned out amazingly. Yeah, that feeling crossing the line, knowing that you've qualified for the Olympics was... Um, was pretty special so that's definitely one of them um my two my two runs in the world championships were probably probably my best two runs actually came 12th in helsinki in 2005 and 11th in osaka two years later i think second i think i was the second european finisher in helsinki so that was pretty good but probably the standout was getting the bronze medal in in melbourne in the commonwealth games running into that um, iconic MCG stadium was, was amazing for me. Not so great for the spectators. About half an hour earlier, the Australian woman had won and the place was absolutely full. I think there were 90,000 there cheering her in. And I, they, were, they were expecting an Australian guy to, he was favourite to medal as well. They managed to overtake him with about 20 mile mark. So the crowd was slightly less enthusiastic than the little Englishman. <laughs> so you were the party pooper. So that was, uh, but that was that was incredible moment. And um, but yeah, and again, um, finishing in the top ten in London Marathon was a big aim of mine. So that was good to achieve that as well in two thousand and seven. I mean, but I put it down to just the just the, the, the I mean the nature of marathon running when you only really run two a year. You've got to really look, you know, you. you always looking three, six, 12 months ahead. So you've got to have that sort of perseverance, that determination, you know, not worry too much about the sort of minutiae of training or the buildup of races that I often, for a big marathon, I'd often have terrible buildup races where 
you know, I'd probably just run 100 miles that week and, and would race at the weekend. My legs would be heavy. I wouldn't run very well. But just knowing that it was all part of the process for that target race, whenever it was. But I, yeah, I mean, that was a difficult thing with marathons. Not only, you know, you, if one went wrong, you'd have to wait six months to put it right. You couldn't race again the next week. So that, that was one of the tough, the tough things about the, the event. So mentally, mentally, you could, you, mentally I think I was, I was quite tough in those times. Just keeping my eye, knowing what I had to do to get in the best possible shape to perform on that, on that, on that particular day. You often hear about these athletes who it's all about peaking at the right time for the Olympics. You've got this four-year window and you want to time your best performance for that absolute time. What sort of disciplines and routines would you go through then during a given window before you knew a big event was coming up? What, what sacrifices did you have to make particularly? I was never, I, uh, you know, a lot of my contemporaries would be very picky about the food and that sort of thing. I wouldn't, I, I, I guess when I was running 120 miles a week, I, you know, yes, I'd try and eat healthily, but I wouldn't be obsessive about it. It was for me, it was doing the key, the key important training sessions at the right time that would just give me that confidence that I, that I was in the best possible shape to perform on the day. You know, whether it was the long run or the, or the mile repetitions on the bicycle track, whatever it was, it was those, it was just give me that confidence. And, and the main thing, it was very, it's very easy to overtrain, I think, especially with the marathon running. You know, I think a lot of marathon runners, and I would include myself, would think if 100 miles a week is good, then 200 miles a week must be better. So I, and I did fall into that trap at, at times, maybe not running 200 miles a week, but just run and run and run and run. And you just lose that edge. You lose that quality. So it was about being disciplined and, and, and having confidence in the training, really, that I felt was my, my strength at times. During lockdown, I've actually tried to get into running myself and I've been going out on the common and as was, it seems like everyone else in the world, trying to run some 5Ks and see if I can get my time down. I can't honestly say that running is something I really, really enjoy. I enjoy the after feeding and the, the sort of license I have to have a big dinner afterwards because I feel I've really earned myself something. Did you enjoy that actual process? Did you enjoy the pain you were putting yourself through? Because 5K is one thing, but running a marathon is it's certainly a different league altogether how did you get yourself into a position to enjoy what you were doing i think it's like anything isn't it if, if it go if it's going well you sort of accept it you don't mind it i mean there comes a point in every marathon where at sort of 23 miles you have to almost well you do you've got to bargain with yourself you, you know it's sort of 20 minutes to go that's the time where you can it's either going to be a really good race or you can settle and, it, and it'll be okay. So well, they reckon you've only got eight, eight good marathons in you in a lifetime. So you can only put, put yourself through that, that absolute agony a certain number of times. And I reckon probably eight was about, was a, that probably works out about right with me. Yeah, I think I remember bargaining with myself, you know, if I push myself the next mile, then I, you know, never have to do this again. And again, you can probably only do that a few times before your body says, <laughs> sorry, no, had enough. But the enjoyment, yeah, I mean, I think as you bring it back to the, where, we, where we live and train, I mean, it's got such a great variety of places to, to run that actually, that, and I think that did help. Uh, my coach, Chris, was invaluable. You know, he used, to, he used to be on the bike, often on the long run. So that, that, that was a great help too. That's an amazing story. And it's, it's I'm just sitting listening and I just think it fascinating, you know, someone who's put themselves through that and... <laughs> and admitted it is a, a painful experience and it, it is quite amazing feat of resilience and, and perseverance to, to a mental strength uh, as a runner a long distance 
so thanks, Dan, for that. It's really, really cracking to, to listen to your story there. It reminds me of Eddie Jones, the England coach, his autobiography that I'm reading at the moment, where he talks about how he put the England team through really hard training sessions just before the 2018 Six Nations, where he knew they wouldn't perform as well as they could do. And he received quite a lot of flack in the the newspaper from the press about the way he was training. And he always said he was planting a seed for the, the bigger picture, which was the World Cup. And he always used to say, judge me on the World Cup. And I think the sort of message we can get back there from, from uh, a marathon runner's story is kind of planting that seed and not expecting to get the results straight away, but trusting the process. And in, in the long term, things will turn out okay. Yeah, and talking about planting the scene, I noticed how, Mr. Robinson, how you mentioned you weren't necessarily the strongest sportsman or the, the best athlete at the school at the time you were growing up. And I think that's a really important message that so often this is a journey on your prep school life is a very small part of your, your sporting career. And as children who are in prep schools, and I've seen it during my time as a prep school teacher, who maybe might be a B or C team sports person during their time at prep school, and they go on and flourish and become an elite level performer down the line. So it's a good message to say, your sporting life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Where you are now is not where you necessarily will end up. And there's great opportunity moving forward for you to improve in whatever field you really want to excel in. Yeah, no, I'd absolutely agree with that. I think especially at this prep school age, it's so much about just enjoying it, isn't it? And trying as many sports as you can and, and be prepared, you know, to have the bad days and to go through that learning process just with the confidence that, you know, you, yes, you'll improve, but enjoy it and that winning mentality will come and it's and it's there with lots of us but it's not the most important thing at this time it really is enjoy it let's enjoy our sport and um, yeah enjoy being being outside in this beautiful place with our friends fantastic and mr robinson i hope one day you'll join us back again on the podcast when we when we're all back to a little bit of normality and the children are back at school playing in their sports matches and we can reflect on some of the successes they're having in their sport. Excellent. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Thank you, Mr. Dill, for joining us once again. Not a problem. Thank you, Mr. Griffiths. Thank you, Mr. Rob. I wish everyone a very happy half term. Relax, stay active, enjoy yourselves. And we look forward to some new podcasts uh, after half term with some new guests. And please do send in any requests or topics you'd like us to talk about. Stay safe, stay well, and speak to you soon. Royalty free music from bensound.com.